You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back to another edition of our Spotify Live Q&A show right here live on the Spotify Live app. You can join us every Saturday morning, 10.30-ish. Just make sure you're following at Pride of Detroit. But this is a special Sunday edition where we are coming to you live Sunday, June 12th. Um, Never really done the date. That seems important. Let's let's go with that. Uh, My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm your co-host here for our Spotify Live chats. With me as always, my two-person panel to help answer all of your questions live here on the Spotify Live app. First, managing editor of Pride of Detroit, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt. Good morning, buddy. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there, man. It feels like maybe everything's thrown off a little bit with us on, on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I think we're going to work our way through it. And and listen, this is this is the last week we'll, we'll have true content to talk about. So uh, we better bring our A game. I think we're always going to have content to talk about, but actual news, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, look, we could talk about the lions at nauseum. Sure. You could just put a mic in front of us. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Uh, And then our other co-host here, senior editor of pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore POD soon to be in a bunker for at least the next six months. Ryan Matthews is here. (laughs) <laughs> um uh, you know this is a goodbye this is uh i'll see you soon you know <laughs> beautiful yeah. yeah absolutely yeah uh well unlike case... john penasini i oh, will be back oh, oh sorry too soon <laughs> too, too soon, soon. <laughs> uh so in case this is your first time listening uh we like to pull in uh guests um just the the regular people the regular fans to come in ask us questions and and spark a discussion uh i forgot to tell who's going to be up first uh, so we'll let everyone know uh, our first three callers are going to be Indigo, Mathis, and Michael. So let's kick things off with Indigo. Indigo, are you there? Morning, guys. Good morning. So my question, just kind of a fun one to kick it off, is if you could take one player from within our division, except for quarterback, who would it be? And kind of the two that jump out to me is just like Aaron Jones or Roquan Smith. Ooh, okay, yeah, Roquan Smith is an interesting answer. You know I'm going to kind of shy away from the running backs, but uh, who wants to take this one first? Who, who's got an aggressively good answer here? I mean, I don't have an aggressive answer, but I was a big Aaron Jones fan uh, in the draft. I had him, I think I had him like a spot. I had like Christian McCaffrey that year, and then like, I think I, I might have one more person. And then it was like Aaron Jones. Like he was way up there for me that year. And uh, I've really not been disappointed with how he's played, except for, of course, when we <laughs> see the Lions face off against him. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm with you. Like uh, 
as a uh, as a Aaron Jones, I guess, like you know, I don't want to say truther, but like I was, I loved him as a player. He's been every, he's been great as a player, uh, but the running back position has kind of been devalued. And and while the linebacker position has as well, I still think that is a spot where adding a guy like that would be a major upgrade to the lions, as opposed to uh, adding just another back uh, who would, you know, compliment and he would be the starter. I think uh, on this team, uh, it wouldn't be that significant of an upgrade. I think you'd see a bigger upgrade with the linebacker. Ryan, who, who are you thinking? Uh, I'm, I'm still thinking Packers. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to go to the secondary, Jair oh, Alexander. You stole mine, you jerk. I knew I would. Thank you for serving it up. But, I mean, come on. I mean, best, best cornerback in the division, right? And, yeah. I mean, one of the best cornerbacks in the conference and one of the best cornerbacks in football, period. So, I mean, he, he's one of those rare talents. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that he's like Jair Island or anything because that's, that's kind of like overused and overstated in, <laughs> sure. in football. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but he's, I mean, he's still really, really good. And the Lions would benefit from getting a really, really good cornerback. Yeah. I feel like you kind of have to pick from the defensive side of the ball here, right? Because, I mean, if you're going to get the most bang for your buck on an upgrade, it has to be somewhere on that defensive side of the ball. So I think, I think Roquan, I think Jair are both really good answers. I mean, what about even, I mean, Rashawn Gary? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wasn't it one of the NFC North? Was it, it was the Bears who picked up the. That run stuffing nose tackle or defensive tackle? I can't think of who it was. You mean in the draft? No, in free agency. Oh. Uh. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi? I think that's me. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> the Bears shed a lot of people. That, so, they like, did. I, I'm not even. I, I can. They don't have a lot left. Like I mean, like no more Mac on that team. Yeah, right? yeah. But so but great. as Nyan, Ogun Joby, yeah, failed his failed physical. physical. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yep. Uh, I don't know, Justin Jefferson. I you, you both <laughs> had really good answers, so I just want the maybe the best player in the in the division remaining that isn't a quarterback. It's like Justin Jefferson's crazy, right? Dalvin just, Cook might be a good answer too. I mean, unless you're really worried about the injuries, right? I mean, when he's good, he's like. <laughs> Top three running back in the Who league. Who do you like more, Dalvin Cook or Aaron Jones? What about AJ Dillon? <laughs> so who do you like more, Dalvin mm. Cook or Aaron Jones? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I like Aaron Jones' versatility. You know what I mean? I would say Dalvin Cook is a rarer breed of running back. You don't see a lot of people who can who can be that kind of workhorse back anymore. And so if if you're looking for you know someone that's less replaceable. Uh, I think you have to go with with him, but Aaron Jones, like like Ryan said, I think Aaron Jones is the more versatile player that you can probably use in more scenarios. So, kind of pick your poison there. I don't know. Do you feel like Aaron Jones would be a little bit redundant with Swift on the team? Yeah, he's just a better version. Yeah, like, I, was gonna, and I, I was gonna say Swift becomes disposable. Yeah. All right. I, I should have added too, but it also helps to take from the Packers since they're kind of the leaders of the division. Sure. Yeah, so absolutely. Either Minnesota or the Packers are probably the better two to take from. Yeah, I agree. All right. I like that little mind exercise to start things off. Indigo, thanks for the question. No problem. Later, guys. See you, bud. Uh, all right, let's move on to Mathis. Mathis, how are we doing, man? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Good, good. Um. So I guess uh, 
My my question is um is a is about um ju- just who so we're gonna have um I I think I saw on on Lions Wire that when it came to the linebackers there was only like at most two they rarely they got into like three maybe three linebackers maybe once or twice um what do you guys see um the the number of linebackers to be and then who do you think is gonna make is gonna make it because it sounds like there might we we might only hold four maybe five um but it's, it seems like it's gonna be a very small number of linebackers compared to what we what we've been used to yeah that's that's a good question and and I think part of this is going to depend on your definition of a linebacker right because they I would say they they had three linebackers on the field kind of often if you consider Julian Aquara still a linebacker, right? Because he's kind of that hang guy who will really just move any, move around anywhere. And, you know, they'll have four down defensive linemen and Julian Aquara and two linebackers. Um, but Julian Aquara is just going to be moving all around, whether it's on the edge or, or, or whatever. Um, but, but I don't know, Eric, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. What, what are your thoughts on the question? Yeah. The trick just becomes, how do you define guys? Because um, there is, this hybrid position that flexes between in the front seven. And then there's a hybrid position that flexes in the back seven. Right. right. Yeah. And so there's going to be this kind of cross definition of, of, of players. Now, if you're talking truly like off the ball guys last year, they kept five and most of the time uh, they used two, maybe a third, but then uh, the other guys were special teams only type players. And, and, and that, shows you, I guess, the value at, at this position. You're going to have a couple of off-the-ball guys that you're going to use, and then you're going to need to fill it with special teamers. So if you add in this hybrid player, like your Julian and your James Houston, now if those guys can play special team roles, but they classify with the edge, then you're going to need less off-the-ball guys, right? So it, it really just depends on where they're going to be pulling their special teams guys from for me so like i like anzalone i like barnes and board those three seem to be like your top three off the ball type guys they of course have invested in malcolm rodriguez and that gives you four now julian's probably going to make the team james houston if james houston makes the team well then there's that's six linebackers and you know um and you're probably capped out but then what about Jared Davis? Has he earned himself a role? You know, Josh Woods is a terrific special teamer. Is, is, is that, is, is he going to do enough to maybe push one of the rookies off the roster? Like that's where it gets really tricky is um, when you factor in how many guys are going to come from that hybrid position, um, you know, because you got to factor in the edge guys too. Like if you, if you, if you uh, are only going to keep like four down edge guys because you're keeping Julian and James Houston, then that's fine. But if you're keeping five, then maybe you only need Julian. So it gets a little tricky uh, this year because of how things flex out. But my guess right now, kind of, if they had to keep, they're going to keep probably four off the ball guys. Uh, I would say uh, Anzalone, Barnes, Board, uh, Malcolm Rodriguez seem like the logical ones to me. Uh, and then we'll see if they if one of the other guys can earn a fifth spot, depending on how they play. But that that would be a lot for me. My guess is it's probably four off the ball guys. The the one other thing I kind of have to contribute because I think you you nailed most of it is is Jared Davis being in this conversation because he's one of those guys that can really do both. Yeah. Right, he can be that edge guy who who can take Julian Aquara's spot or or 
um, James Houston spot on the roster, but they also yeah. kind of like him as an off ball guy. Um, they, they definitely try him at both. Um, mm-hmm. I think he, I think he's better suited on that edge role. And I, I think most, most of us agree with that at this point, something that people have been clamoring for since he was here the first time around. But the fact that he has that versatility and you know he would give it on special teams as well might give him an edge to yeah, that's kind of the like trick. Save, save a roster spot, right? Yeah, that's the trick, right? If he all of a sudden becomes this dynamic special teams guy, then James Houston is probably going to the practice squad. Yeah. Uh, anything to add, Ryan? Is there, is there maybe – like we didn't even talk about Sean Dion Hamilton who had a heck of a training camp last year. Um, you know, the only thing I, I think I have to really add, and I guess this speaks for the, the defense as a whole, but like, especially in light of Penasini retiring, it, it's just interesting how this changeover is going to happen with the defense, right? Like in, mm-hmm. in the numbers game, right? In, in terms of who's going to be left on, on that 53 man roster. Cause I mean, you're going to see probably the interior defensive linemen, like that number is going to be vastly different, I think, than, than it was a year ago. And yeah. I think you're going to see the same thing with, with the linebacker crew, but you know, as you know, Eric really smartly pointed out, I'm I'm so confident in this podcast moving forward the next couple of weeks with just you two doing it. You know, <laughs> you're gonna be you're gonna be just fine, guys. But you know what what Eric said um is, is right is right out of the nuts, man. Like that that's what it is. Like it's uh it, it's just about classification and and it's about what certain guys are doing. So yeah, and I'm just gonna take this opportunity to plug too, like. There's a 53-man roster prediction coming next week after after my you know seeing all of OTAs and minicamps. So uh, keep your eyes on that, and then we'll we'll answer more of your roster build. Hopefully, that'll answer some of your other roster building questions that you may have. But uh, Mathis, really appreciate the question. Good conversation there. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too, bud. All right, let's move on to Michael. Michael, you're on the show. How you doing? Doing great. How about yourself, Jeremy? Doing great. Doing great. I was looking at uh, the progression of the rebuild. First step was, you know, let's change the culture. Let's bring in our kind of guys. The second step, I think, is how do we compete in the division? And I was wondering what your breakdown would be of positional groups within the division, one through four. Like, is our line a number one offensive line in the NFC North? Is, what's our quarterback at? You know, what's, what is our wide receiver room at? Because I think that's how we need to measure our next step of progression is how our rooms build versus um, Minnesota, Green Bay, and Chicago. Ooh, that's going to be a tough one, I think, to answer off the cuff. But maybe let's let's stick with, like, maybe just our thoughts on where the off – rather than go positionally, because I think that might require a little too much, uh, you know, deep diving into every position on, on other teams. Maybe split it between offense and defense and where you feel – the Lions rank uh, in, in the division. And I'll, I'll give you the first crack at it, Ryan. Let's start with the offense. Uh-huh. How how do you think this offense ranks, uh, at least in terms of personnel, compared to the rest of the division? I know that's going to be hard since, obviously, the the, Viking, the Vikings and the Bears have a new system and all that. But uh, but how, how, how confident, I guess, do you feel compared to the rest of the division? Yeah, I, I think in terms of confidence, like with the Lions offense, I think I can squarely put it at number two in the division. Hmm. Um, and I, I know, I know that's, that might seem rather optimistic based on, you know, the first what 10 games of last season. Um, yeah. but, but with that being said, I, I think the upgrades that they made, um, especially at the receiver position, like I, I can't stress enough, like, and, and we've talked about it so many times, 
um, on these Saturday podcasts and I guess just all of our podcasts in general, but like the difference that like players like DJ shark and, you know, Jameson Williams, once he's healthy, like the, the difference that having those guys on the outside is going to make for this team is, is just going to, it's going to work wonders. And if that offensive line is intact, there isn't a better one in, in the NFC North and <clears throat> there might not be a better one in the NFC period. So I, I, I think that maybe, I mean, Jeremy, you're probably going to say the Vikings might have a better offense than the, than the Lions, and that's fine. Um, so you might, <laughs> you're not wrong. You might, you, 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 might, you might put them at two. But maybe that's just some of the Kool-Aid drinking that I'm doing. But if that offensive line is healthy, man, like, it's just – it's going to be such a big difference. Like, we, like I, I guess that's maybe the most undersold thing about last season was, like, yeah, the depth was good. But, like, could you imagine if all those guys would have been able to play together as one? You know, I mean, yeah. missing Frank Rag now for, for, you know, much of the season, um, you know, Taylor Decker and the Penny Sewell thing and, you know, everything that was kind of going on with, with, you know, the starters. So um, I, I think, I, I think I'd feel confident enough in putting them too. And then defense, I mean, maybe third, <laughs> maybe, I mean, just, just because the bears are a wasteland. Like I think the bears are like firmly situated at fourth in both offense and defense. And then I'm kind of like building out from there. So, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. Two and three. That That's kind of where I'm at, I guess. All right. What do you think, Eric? Yeah. I think the Packers probably are at one in both and the bears are at four in both. I agree with uh, Ryan on that. Uh, and then it just becomes, can they be better than Minnesota to get up to that two spot? I don't know right now. <laughs> like I kind of like I'm hesitant to say like if they reach their potential, they could be two in, in Drink both. It. In Drink both, it, Eric. Right? Drink it, Eric. <laughs> um, but like on on offense, Minnesota just has proven weapons and the yep. Lions have potential. Right. On defense, Minnesota has potential. The Lions have potential. And I, I hate I, – it's weird because I'm almost leaning like – that the defense could be two, like because I worry Minnesota's defense might end up just tanking. Like we, no more the Zimmer. Bears and the Vikings could have two of the like bottom third defenses in the league, right? Um, now they have they added players, they have guys, but they're switching schemes. They're, they're I mean they're using Daniel Hunter as a stand up linebacker, uh, a pass rusher now instead of like down. Is that gonna is that gonna impact him? But then they added Darius Smith, is it Darius Smith? So like I. I don't know. They, they like they added pieces, and it, it, on paper they look pretty good, but like Detroit, I just don't know. I, I and where as Detroit is like they're in their second wave. They're a little bit more established. It shouldn't take as long for them to acclimate. So I don't know. I, I I'm like I'm. It, it's a hard sell, but I it, if I was play, being hesitant, I'd say third for the Lions in both. Mm-hmm. But I could easily drink the Kool Aid and say two on a different day. <laughs> well, well, I think. When it, go, go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry, Jeremy. Well, then if we're only going to break down the two, what do you think about our coaching staff versus the other three teams? Ooh. Well, that's a tricky one, right? Like, cause we, we haven't seen the, the coaching staff of the other two teams uh, that the, the change with the Vikings and the bears. Yeah. Again, you've got a proven coaching staff in green Bay and then the rest are all, it's a rebuild. Wait and, and so, see who knows. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> But to I, I guess Lions at one. <laughs> Lions at one. <laughs> Ryan is full in drinking the Kool Aid. Um, but yeah, I guess to kick the conversation back to the offense and defense, like the the ultimate equalizer is quarterback, right? And I think 
I, I maybe I'm wrong here, but I think we can all kind of agree that Jared Goff is firmly third in in the division at quarterback. I, I know I know there's a lot of Kirk Cousins haters out there, and I happen to not be one of them, even though, you know, I'm a Michigan guy. Um, I agree with that, and okay. I think you will find some Lions fans that will say Jared Goff is fourth, and you will find some Jared Goff fans that are say, that say he's second. So right. I think he's a little bit all over. Yeah, um, and and who knows what Justin Fields does this year? I'm I'm not ready to bury that guy yet either. But um, wide receivers, I would say the Lions are firmly second. Um, running backs third maybe uh offensive line either first or second i first i mean green bay man first no. like bakhtiari is bakhtiari ever going to come back from his acl injury it doesn't matter whoever they put in there is just turns into a, an unpenalizable okay. perfect stop it. player stop it <laughs> i'm with i'm with eric though like it's, it's the best in the division yeah um it should be it should be um it will be it will be. <laughs> and then defensively, yeah, I just – I don't know. I I do expect a significant jump this year. And But, the, I mean, the issue is just like all the injuries right now. We don't know who – we don't know who's going to actually be playing by the time uh, they take the field in, in September. Like, is Jeff Okuda going to be a starter? Is Josh Paschal going to be ready? I mean, doesn't – it's not great that he's dealing with a lingering injury that he had for the back half of his last season at Kentucky. Um so I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not ready to declare. I think I'm firmly third on on defense, and then coaching staff. Like we said, I think I'm pretty darn happy with with what the Lions coaching staff is and and who they are right now. And so I feel pretty comfortable putting them second right now. But again, the the Bears and, and the Vikings haven't really even un, unwrapped their their present. So we'll we'll see where they're at there. Front office. You you want us to rank front office yeah. now? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Do it. What do you got? What do you got? <laughs> uh, well, obviously, Brad Holmes is, is better than the Vikings GM, who I'm not going to try to butcher his Quasi. name. Um, Quasi. Yep. Um, because he, he beat him on a one-on-one. He 1v1'd him and won in, in, in the first round of the draft. <laughs> went to the gulag. <laughs> he went to the gulag. <laughs> came out the winner. Uh, but, I mean, it's hard hard to argue with results in Green Bay. So, two. No. One. One. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. So Eric wanted to go to the front office. I thought for sure Eric was going to be like special teams. <laughs> That's one too, right? That's one as well. There's special that, teams as well. I mean, if you look at Goslin's rankings just from last year, like they were the only one in the top seven, right? I, I, I here, here's the thing. I'm worried about kicker. Well, because they, I'm, you've, I'm, because well, how many kicks have they taken? Like seven? Yeah, you know what I mean? Half of them. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's seven kicks, man. <laughs> and it's also the spring. They're but sitting here's... around they're sitting around playing solitaire on the sidelines and then they're like, Oh, I'm supposed <laughs> to kick? All right, well let me go hang this one to the left. I, I'm just saying I think Lions fans got a little too comfortable with the kickers last year because they saw like seven kicks during the season. And and they made they most missed of them, less but... than that, right? Gosh. They were like, but they didn't try anything from like fifty. Like they tried three field goals from fifty yards last year. And, and listen, hit, if hit one of them, Seabird, <laughs> great, Seabird, and he's on the roster. Listen, if they go into twenty twenty two and only kick three field goals from fifty yards or longer, that's actually a great sign to me. That means they're going, they're continuing to go for it. But I just, I, I think, I think, I think, I think you guys should be a little worried about the kicker, if if that matters to you at all. I'll worry about it in September. All right, fine. All right. Look what I did. Look what I did. You did. Chaos. <laughs> All right, appreciate the question, Michael.
Uh, I think we're going to take a quick break here. Yeah, let's take a quick break. We come back answering more of your questions here on Spotify Live app. Sunday morning this time, normally Saturday mornings. Come join us. Follow at Pride of Detroit. We'll see you next week. So we'll be right back. More questions on the way. We're back here on Spotify Live, answering your lines, questions on our live Q&A show. Join us every weekend on the Spotify Live app. Um, but let's let's get right back into it. we got some good conversations going. So let's bring in Daniel J. Daniel, how are you doing? Hey, doing good. Doing good. Good, good. Uh, hey, listen, I just I wanted to tell you like a quick story. You know, I mean, all of you are Lions fans. All of you, you know, you both got each other. And for those of us who've lived away from Michigan for a while, you know, when you go to a sports bar or whatever, you meet people and you tell them there's a Lions, you're a Lions fan. There's always this thought bubble over their head, you know, <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so when I was, I moved down here, I moved to Mexico and, uh, at the end of November and, uh, and they started winning, you know, you're welcome. Yep. <laughs> I, I I was at, I went to the I went to the sports bar for the playoffs and there was another American couple of other Americans there and I, one guy goes uh, he was from New York he's like a Jets fan a little bit of Giants he's like oh, you know what are you fan I'm like oh Lions and he's like whoa he's like you've got a good coach I'm telling you that was the weirdest feeling I've ever had <laughs> yeah but it's, it's good well it's also anyway. It's all sort of a lead-in because I really think, like, why is that happening? It's not because, you know, woohoo, the Lions went 3-13. and 13. But I, I think that there's this perception that now that the Lions culture really is changing and that, you know, that, that a large, large, you know, we can talk about the talent and, you know, uh, which is all great, you know, is, you know, are we going to win because of Goff or win with him? What's going to happen with the linebacker room? But it really, I'm just really curious in your view because it really seems to me that this culture change is really taking a hold at all levels of the organization. And I think it, I think it starts with Sheila Hamp and you know and working collaboratively and Brad Holmes. But I'm I'm also really like for instance the change the culture of the coaching staff that we have a coaching yeah. staff that they're not just paying idea of like no we're gonna we're gonna build we're gonna build our system around the players that we have and we're gonna seek their input and uh and i also noticed i mean i was interested to see that they had this guy they hired away from usc to be in the uh in the front office yeah you know like usc's trying hard to trying hard to hold on to him he's like oh no i want to go work with this team um so i'm curious of what you think about that i mean am i am i chugging kool-aid here um, I see, and I would, I would say too. I would say too, just in terms of a long-term perspective, the Lions became. I mean, who knows whether or not you win, you know, go to a Super Bowl, get the right quarterback. A lot of it's a matter of luck. But I would be really happy if we just were like, you know, over the medium to long term, we became a team like the Ravens. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, just like solid culture. Don't know they're going to win every year, but. You know, you know, you know, they're going to be in the hunt. They're going to be in the hunt. Or if they have a down year, 
you know, you know, they're going to bounce back. And, and, and it feels like it's heading that way. And I'm, I'm curious what you think. I'm especially curious uh, what you think from seeing the team practice, if you can really sure. see the, you know, really see an evolution of the culture at that level. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's start at the beginning here because I, I think, I think it is a unique, we, we've had years in which, you know, national media praise the Lions and say like this might, you know, they're kind of a sneaky team. They might do something. What I can't remember in my young history, and I'll just pretend to call myself young here, uh, is a head coach ever getting this kind of praise, a Detroit Lions head coach getting this much national praise. And I think that says something because especially for it to happen after a 3-13-1 season, like people can nationally, and and part of this is just Dan Campbell's that affable of a guy. He can win over any room, Um, but that, that speaks to his leadership. And so I think that is, is a huge, and and yeah, like you said at the beginning, like it feels weird to hear that because I think it's so foreign of a concept for us to feel like leadership is in the right place for the first time in a very long time. Cause even when Jim Caldwell here was here and he's a very well-respected guy and, and people like him, but there's always been the stigma around him that he could never get past the hump and that, you know, his only successful years were because of Peyton Manning and things like that. So Lions are Lions fans are in a very weird place with their coaching staff in terms of just how highly approved they are across the board. I'll tell you what, when he was hired, they, you know, they looked at him like a cartoon character. Right. Yep. And then, he went into camp and everybody was calling him like a meathead and he'd be a, he was a meme and, you know, all these one-liners. And then the team loses and they're, you, you gain a little sympathy from the national audience and then you, you win in dramatic fashion against Minnesota and everybody, you know, then the, then the narrative becomes, you know, oh, well, good job. They, they got their win. They won't be, you know, they won't be uh, winless this season. And then they waxed Arizona. And that I think is when it, the shift started to happen because how they closed out the season when everyone else was like the, the teams that were out of it were, were just dropping the, the narrative changed because they were like, okay, this is a team that's like decimated by injury has a ton of guys on IR, a ton of guys unavailable. And yet they came out and just beat at the time, the number one team in the NFC. And then they uh, they win it in the finale against Green Bay, who was, again, the number one team in the NFC. And I don't care that it, they had their backups in in the second half. They were winning in the first half, right? And they closed the season on such a positive note that I think that's really when we saw that shift because now it's like, okay, this is a coach who can motivate his players to continue to play when there's nothing to play for. And that is... I hate to say it, but that is a rare thing in the NFL because there are there are not a lot of coaches that can do that, and that's really when the shifts happens. Then you look at Brad Holmes' success in the off season, and then you look at like how players are talking about the coaches, and now this it just the momentum just can, goes and carries and carries and carries, and now the national media is is you know falling in love with them, and you have Minka Kimes tweeting out. Uh, you know, stats about Amon Ross St. Brown on a Friday night for no, for just no apparent reason. Right. (laughs) And so like that Arizona game, when they just waxed Arizona, that was the big shift, I think, in 
how people started looking at the lines and what they're doing. And uh, now from there, it's, I mean, since then it's been all positivity, right? Like, I feel like that's really when everything started to, to change um, nationally. Yeah. And, and, and there's always a question of how much that is real. And I know Daniel asked, like, can you see it in practice? And, and I mean, the answer is an overwhelming yes. Like, yeah, you, you, you can, you can see the way he, he leads the team. It's interesting because he's actually very hands off during practice. And, and I think that speaks to his ability to delegate and trust the people that he hired. And that's kind of the other part of the conversation. There like you go. this isn't just Dan Campbell. This is the rest of the coaching staff. This yeah. is Ben Johnson sitting down with uh, Jared Goff for a week to say, hey, what do you want on this offense? And Jared Goff said, like, one of the few times Jared Goff has really opened up is when he talked about his relationship with Ben Johnson. And to me, like, it was, I was so appreciative that, that it wasn't just talk. It wasn't just him sitting in and telling me what I need to do. He, it was truly a collaborative process. And he listened because we're installing some of the stuff I told him that I, that, I told him I was good at that. I wanted in, in the offense. And, you know, it, it's not just him. A, a lot of the coaches are being praised for their ability to, to talk to, I think it was Khalif Raymond who talked about how um, Antoine Randall is doing the same thing. He's asking him what, what he's doing when he's coming off the, the, the field and what he saw and all that sort of stuff. And so it's just, they, the coaching staff really gets it. And, and you have to credit Dan Campbell for finding the right guys like Kelvin Shepard a guy who had almost no coaching experience has a three hour conversation with him over the phone. And, and at the end of it, he's like, this is our guy. And he, I, I feel like every week I come over here and, and try to, uh, you know, shower you guys in, in some Kelvin Shepard Kool-Aid because I really think that guy's special too. And so, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how much more I can say about this coaching staff, but I, well, I I've have one never... more thing to say. Okay. <laughs> but because, again, there. if we're looking from a national perspective, like they're looking at the coaching staff saying, hey, it's a bunch of former players. Let's see if it will go. And then they see how the NFL reacts, and they start interviewing Aaron Glenn. They start interviewing Aubrey Pleasant for, like, defensive coordinator for jobs. And now they're saying, okay, maybe these coaches are better than we know as a national media because of how the NFL is reacting to this coaching staff as well. The Cincinnati coach is talking about Ben exactly. Johnson, right? Yeah. Like, like, so the reaction from the other NFL teams to the Lions coaching staff, I think further boasts it up. And then to bring in like the hiring of like Brandon uh, Sosna, I think is his name, um, from USC, like the front office is getting better. You already have like yeah. in a, uh, Brad Holmes, who's leaning on John Dorsey, who's a, a former GM. He's got his, he's got Ray Agnew who has GM aspirations. Now you bring Sosna in who's following Mike Disner, who are both guys who are on the Forbes 30 for 30, uh, 30 under 30 list, right? Who are guys that are both cap gurus who understand marketing, who understand football. And like all of a sudden this front office is just adding more wealth, wealth and depth and talent and you're it's like it's as good as the coaching staff when you start comparing front offices and coaching staffs to like other like there's they're getting a lot more national recognition they're adding and and now it just that's how that that has how that like national you know narrative continues to just grow and get deeper and deeper because they're adding and adding and adding more people who are really smart Ryan, any other Kool-Aid to, to help us bathe in? Because I'm, I'm feeling it now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think the only thing, I mean, you guys had a lot of great stuff to say, but the, the one thing that I think I can add is it, it was it was a piece that was done on The Ringer, um, and I'm trying to remember 
who it was. Um, it's the guy who does their their slow news day. Kevin updates. Clark. Kevin Clark. Okay. Yeah. So Kevin Clark writes about um, you know the, the the kind of the inability of the NFL to get hiring right. Like more often times than not, obviously, like hiring a head coach goes 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 more wrong than it does right. And you know when he spoke to like league executives, the one thing that league executives all said was like, it's got like hires need to be like culture hires. Like you need buy-in and like that just speaks volumes to where the Detroit lions are. I think right now, like, yes, like I agree with you guys, like they have a lot of smart football people in place, but it all starts with Dan Campbell and it all starts with that culture shift. Like it all starts with like the buy-in and you know, I, I think getting that right can never be understated because the Lions had gone through so many different coaches that were either, you know, offensive minded or defensive minded. And it's like you bring in Dan Campbell and it's just like, well, this dude is just a dude that, you know, people are going to get behind, that people are going to want to play football for. And when you get to this level of, you know, of football, the National Football League, you get to the professional level you have to have one of those guys that can galvanize people. And sometimes that message, you know, it, it dries up, but I mean, for, for the time being, like, let's just enjoy the fact that the lions have a guy who, and, and they have many guys. Right. But I think again, it all starts with Dan Campbell and it all starts with, with that culture shift that I, I think is, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about it, you know, three, four or five years down the road about how like, how important this was, how pivotal of a moment. Yeah. Um, hey, well, let me just, let me just add one thing. I think the one thing about that is that if I'm thinking like, if I'm a player or a coach or anybody on another team, I'm thinking this would be a really great place to be because the way that, because the culture is going to help me become a better version of myself. Right. Yeah, that's and so you know what I, mean? and I, I just, it's, it's, it's so it's intangible, but palpable. Right. So thanks guys. No problem, Daniel. And I'm I'm just gonna wet blanket here a little bit because I feel like it's in my nature. And maybe maybe the podcast could use it a little bit because uh. we're, we're at all th- here's the two big questions I still have about the coaching staff. Um one is that we we likely have a first time play caller on offense this year. So maybe that goes great. I mean the, the Ben Johnson hype is, is off off the charts right now with the players, so I don't worry about the buy in there, but Reality is first time play caller is probably going to go through some lumps there. The other thing is like, I'm still a tad worried about Dan Campbell and his aggressiveness. And maybe this is just my own insecurities because obviously he did a pretty good job with it last year. He was more, far more aggressive than I thought he was going to be. Um, but we still have to know if that, that was out of necessity or not. The thing that, that I think concerns me is how often he says he's a gut guy, right? He he goes with his gut when he's out there, and to me, that's that can get you in trouble. That that's that's kind of going with the flow of the game. Going, you know, if if you're if you're angry and you're you're going with your gut, you're maybe not thinking clearly. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm very much like a rational go by the numbers guy, and and sometimes that has its own limitations. But uh, I don't know. I guess I guess I'm just a, a tiny bit worried about that. All right, well, I can't let Nipping. us end on a negative here. Of course because, you can. <laughs> because I I want to add one more. I'm a between-the-lines guy, right? Like, I see I, – I, I get it. I get it. You want the black and white. I want that in between. Um, <laughs> okay. But Sosna guy – yeah. okay, Sosna. 
Yeah. If you look at his history, right, he was at Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati, and then he goes to Cleveland and he gets a job and there are um, they're going heavy analytics, right? And that's why he got hired because of his analytics uh, background. Mm-hmm. And when they shifted in the, and they moved and they moved into a traditional style of like an old school style of uh, front office, that's when he left. He said, I didn't see a path to a, to a NFL future for me in the organization, the way it was designed. And Dorsey said, I tried my best to keep him, but I couldn't, but he, he felt like he was, there was no room for growth. Right. Mm -hmm. So he left and he went back to college and then he goes to, to us to Cincy and then he goes back, then he goes to USC. And the only reason he would jump to the NFL again is if he sees a path for growth. And that was what we see in this organization at both the front office and at the coaching staff is that there is an opportunity for growth, right? And that's how you attract smart people. Like he's going to come in and Disner was just promoted to COO. So he's going to come in and take Disner's spot. Well, Disner's not going to be long. I like Disner's going to get another job somewhere, right? He's going to be on to bigger and better things. And then he's Sosa is going to have a path forward and it's going to be clear it's going to be laid out right and it's the same thing we saw it with kelvin shepherd right mm-hmm. shepherd gets this opportunity ben johnson gets this opportunity and so yes while there are concerns maybe this year about will you know with the first time play caller when you look at the future of the organization which is really i guess what, what i think daniel's question was about like in establishing the culture this is where i'm very optimistic about the lions because they have created these paths to future positions for coaches and that's going to attract more smart uh, coaches and front office people in the future. Right. And that should kind of ease the anxiety of people. Like I can already sense the anxiety amongst Lions fans. They're like, Oh my God, we're going to lose Ben Johnson. Oh my God, we're going to lose Aaron Glenn. Well, if you have the system in place where people are seeing these guys get promotions, you're going to be able to kind of fill in those spots with guys that are hungry, guys that are good, guys that are up and coming. And so like, I know we all don't want to lose Aaron Glenn, but I think we all know in the back of our hand, It's going to happen sometime soon, but I guess just have that confidence in knowing that the culture that the Lions are building um, in the coaching staff and and the front offices is going to be able to fill in those spots. Maybe not with another Aaron Glenn, but someone who's just as promising. So there you go. We ended on a positive. (laughs) Thank you for the question, Daniel. Uh, Let's move on to our next caller. Todd is on the line. Todd, how are you doing? Okay. Um, listen, I love all the content you guys put out. I really do. I live out of state and it's just my, my lion's juice comes from pride of Detroit. I love it. Um, um, you've already spoken about what I want to talk about from Daniel. It's about the coaching staff and the culture. I follow the lions on, you know, on Twitter and I follow some of their players and you saw like the punt catch thing that they did the other day. Yeah. And then like the media day they did with Hawkinson where they're all chirping at him. And like, it just feels like this, this coaching staff and front office has put together a group of guys that genuinely are having fun and they like each other. And, you know, I work at a job where I hire people and putting together like a staff of people that care about their working work environment, but they are having fun goes a long ways. And I just, I'm so excited about this coaching staff in the front office that they're, they're doing it right for the first time. 
And I guess my, not, it's not necessarily a question, but like, do you notice that like when you're watching OTAs that the players are having fun and enjoying themselves and they're higher, like these are ex coaches that are bringing these players in. I just, I would like to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, Ryan, I think we've had this conversation a couple of times, like, yeah, the the difference between some of those guys and the, their carryovers from the the previous regime, like Tracy Walker, I think is is the poster child of how much more fun they're having yeah, because that sure. guy seemed absolutely miserable the the previous two seasons under under Matt Patricia, and he is just like a ball of energy. We saw the video of him where where Matt where Dan Campbell talks to him. He's like, "This is your team now. You are a leader." And and you see it on the field. Like, he's so excited to be out there. Jeff Okuda is another one where, I mean, that guy is just having so much damn fun, and he's not even playing right now. He's, he's, he's getting in the faces of everybody in that punting drill. I don't know if you guys saw, like, I can't remember which defensive lineman caught a pass, but Jeff Okuda comes sprinting up to him, and he's, like, taking fake pictures of him. He's got his hands up in, like, a camera and just, like, taking pictures of him. And, and just, like, yeah, I mean, night and day in terms of how much fun these guys are having. Uh, at practice. And and I don't want to say that these guys hated each other or weren't having fun under Matt Patricia. I think part of the reason also that we're seeing all this stuff is because this staff is not afraid to put this sort of stuff on camera. I think, I think Matt Patricia would hate seeing, you know, putting videos of of their team having fun on, on social media. Um, They they certainly didn't like putting anything on social media. Or Uh, a 60 minute draft video. If I I could also, if I could also say, it's like, I think about the, the, cultural change of the of the team maybe it had nothing to do with the players maybe it was the coaches in the front office sure oh it definitely was like yeah i mean all you really have to do is go back to that first year of matt patricia and and there were those stories that like the veterans were not happy with how things were, were being run right from the get-go and, and he lost like, Darius Slay like the, the second meeting. Yeah. Like the second meeting, yeah. Slay was like, well, I'm done. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah, it, I don't think leadership could – I mean, I don't think there could be a more stark different, difference in the type of leadership that, that we've seen in, in the past two years or past two regimes, and I don't think you could see a more different result either. I mean, that's just the simplest way to put it. Well, so so I, I really like Todd's observation here, and I want to spin it into a question for both Eric and Jeremy because these uh these are a couple of guys who are you know actually in the room you know more more than just a, a handful of times. Um, <laughs> thank you. But from from Todd's observation, here's here's the one thing that maybe might be the cause for concern, but I want you guys to, to think in so far in, in these first, I, I guess I'll call it a year and a half so far of Dan Campbell, right? It, it's, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, it's the, okay, the team is really having a lot of fun, but when it's time for business, like where does that line get drawn? And have you seen that in practice where, yeah, we can have a good time. We're out here enjoying ourselves. Like this is a game that we're playing and we get paid to do it, but we're also out here with a, with a mission in mind and with an objective and, and it's to win football games. So like sometimes, sometimes it might be hard to like, and I think that that might be the hardest line to tow as an NFL head coach. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't mean to put either you or Eric on the spot, but where do you guys see that line getting drawn in, in practice? 
for me, it's the competitive drills. Like you can be light, but when you have those competitive drills, you keep the players involved and you keep the players focused. Right. And, and that is a, uh, that is a big step towards keeping that. Like when you have a bunch of guys, when you play at this level, you're an alpha, right? Like you're a competitive guy by nature. And some of these guys don't like to lose at anything. You know what I mean? And so when you put them, when you add these competitive drills into the mix, you are going to just naturally feed into things that these like to their, to their just human nature. Like, and so they tap into these uh, competitive instincts and they keep these players focused and that, focus you know is what drives them to the next thing and then you add the types of guys that they've added yep. to the roster that's what right? i was gonna say yep. is also like when you put amon Ra out there like <laughs> um, the amon Ra uh jeff akuda battles last year were insane yeah in the in the Ali mcneil frank ragno battles were crazy because these were guys that don't stop and hutchinson is the same way that's what i was gonna say this, yeah, how okay. how much are we looking forward to Aiden Hutchinson versus Panay Sewell, and how many times are they going to fight? Oh Every my other. goodness, that, that uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing. And that's yeah, that I think that like you you need those foundational pieces who are going to sharpen everyone else because who I, I think it was Khalif Raymond. He was actually talking about Jared Goff here. He's, he's like, I've been trying since I got here to be the first one in the office, to be the first one in the parking lot, and no matter what I do, I can't do it. But that's that's the kind of an impact that players can have. And, and it, I always go back to one of those quotes from, from Dan Campbell. is like, yeah, I'm trying to set the culture here. But once I do it, if I do it right, I don't have to do a damn thing for the rest of the, rest of the time I'm here because the players are doing it themselves. They're leading by themselves. They're, they're show, leading by example. So I think part of that competitive nature just comes from getting those kind of dudes in the building. And And, yeah, I think that's maybe something that goes overlooked and, you know, even even I've even had some anxieties about them just like getting these football guys because you ultimately need talent. But the reason you get those kind of guys is because they they make everybody better. They make everyone play at the at their best selves. Because if not, they know like they know this coaching staff is not afraid to play someone who's hungrier. And and that that threat of being outworked by someone sharpens everyone's game up uh, enough that that yeah, you don't necessarily need to, to have a, an authoritarian type of guy at top because the threat of competition is enough to get these guys to get going. Yeah. You can't be all business all the time. It just doesn't work. And like, if you do, you're going to either get pushback or you're going to get times when they w- they'll shorten their practice because they want to get in and get their downtime so that because they know I've got 15 minutes to before my next meeting where I have to be back on and back focused. So maybe I'll cut my practice short. So I get 20 instead of 15 so that I get that extra time. And when you have it more relaxed, they're going to spend more time doing things that they want to do. They're going to spend more time. Like it's just, it's an easier working environment when you're not on pins and needles all the time. You know who's getting less time out on the practice field? The Chicago Bears, because they don't know the rules. <laughs> That's right. Was it a mini camp that they yeah. lost? Because yeah, because they were practicing they, in they pads, right? Contact. Or contact, like yeah. Just a third. Uh, just, just a third of your uh, side, A Side note, guys, um, before you move on, I really, really hope that Matt Patricia becomes the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. <laughs> we're all hoping, Todd. We're all hoping. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> good Thanks, Todd. Appreciate the question, man. All right, let's move on to Nyan. Hey, Nyan, how you doing? Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Great. Uh, hope you guys ha- are having a good Sunday. I want to ask about Logan Sternberg. Uh, on Twitter this week, on uh, Minicamp, a lot of people had praise for him. Uh, he was in place of Jonah Jackson when he couldn't practice. Uh, and do you see how he can become a substitute for, for Vitae or at least be a reliable uh, first reserve interior offensive lineman? Uh, that's, that, is that in the works for him? Because the last two seasons, we didn't see a whole lot. He was injured. He was bad when he was, when you guys could see him in practice. So how, how is he this season so far? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say um, how exactly he's doing without the pads. Like, offensive line play is really tough to kind of, um, you know, monitor and, and evaluate before the pads come on in August. But I think you bring up, bring up a good point. And I think the fact that he jumped in when Jonah Jackson was injured for kind of half a practice there this week um, says a lot about how, how far he's come. And, and I talked to Frank Ragnow, and he talked about how, you know, Jonah learned to refine his game, right? Because he came in as this, I mean, we all use the same term, right? He was a mauler. He was. So you, a, you mean Logan, right? What did I say? You said Jonah. Yeah, sorry. Logan, okay, Logan yeah. came came into the in, into the league as a mauler, but right. you you can't you can't survive on that in the NFL. There there's maulers in, in every position, so you have to kind of technically de- redefine your game, and that's what he's done. And I think it was uh, Burkett put out an article where he talked to Jonah one on one. He didn't. We didn't get any uh, team sessions with him, so. I, you know, I, I can't speak personally to to his journey, but it certainly sounds like he's come a long way. And and he's one of the guys I'm going to be eager to watch during training camp because I think, as Eric has said multiple times, um, we just don't get to see that guy at all. Like he he we we barely see him in camp. And then you know he if he's making all these strides, he's doing it during the middle of the season where we can't see him um, because we only get to see you know we only get to take attendance during the season in terms of practices. He's also coming off an injury um, from last year towards MCL. So it, it'll be interesting. I'm not ready to crown him as like this premier backup that that's going to be the, the, the first guy on the field. If anyone on the interior gets injured and he's going to be a lot better. Um, I have to see it myself um, because we, we do have to remember we're in the middle of, you know, best, best shape of their life season. And so of course everyone like we're, we're here hearing hype articles about Trinity Benson and, and people are getting angry over backup quarterback talk and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. But but we have to go out there and see it. So I, I, I can't say personally that I've seen Logan Sunberg take a big step yet, but I think he's going to be one of the more interesting storylines when it comes to kind of the reserves on this team and seeing what kind of strides he's made because the talk is there. Um, I just have to see it first. I, I was going to say real quick, because um, I, I know Eric wants to get in on this, but like Logan Sunberg, the, I, I guess so far, like his journey in the NFL hasn't really provided a lot of opportunities for people to see the good things that he can do. Right. Yeah. I mean, he comes in COVID year. The, the the beat isn't in there. They're not really seeing a whole lot. Um, and then, you know, he like you said, tears his MCL and, he, and he's on injured reserve. So I, I, I the one thing I will say, though, is, I mean, being the first guy to step in for Jonah Jackson, like, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that that's kind of telling. I mean, we're not going to make any sweeping conclusions about it, but 
I, I think the one thing that we still do know, though, is that he's not going to be playing a lot of center. <laughs> but uh, the Lions have that short up. So that's uh, – but, yeah, I mean, the more depth, the better. I mean, the, I, we, we, we've seen how important that depth can be, right? Yeah, look, and I think that center uh, stint that they tried to put him at center, uh, I think really hurt him. You know what I mean? When Patricia uh, needed to come up with a second-team center because Bo Benshaw was unavailable to start uh, at at, uh, training camp, and they had to lean – they wanted their best five on the second line, and so they just – they had – Ode Abouche and then Kenny Wiggins at, at, at guard, they shifted Stenberg in at center. And I think that set him back. Um, he struggled. He looked bad. He couldn't get his rhythm. Then by the time they shifted him back to guard, he, he was uh, behind. Then he couldn't get on the field as a rookie. Yeah. Uh, next year, he shifts back over to left guard again, but he only gets four offensive snaps the entire year. And I think a couple of those were as like a six offensive lineman, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Right. And so like he, he never got his feet under him uh, his rookie year. Last year it was almost like a, a new rookie year for him where he's where he's trying to relearn. He's got the mentality to play. He's got the 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 I want to bury my the guy across from me mentality that like you see with like Panay Sewell. But like he he just we don't know yet, right? Like yeah. Jeremy, you nailed it when you said like we haven't seen him put on pads yet. And until they put on pads, we're not really gonna know what he can do or, or, or what he can't. But yeah, on paper, he's he has had a uh, a lot more obstacles ahead of him in his first two years, I think, than we give credit for because you know we just kind of look at him and say, hey, oh, you know, he hasn't done anything. He's kind of a, he's been you know underwhelming, but really he's had a fair amount of obstacles, whether it's the coaching staff or an injury. And now in going into his third year, it's a, it's a better opportunity for him. And, and and honestly, an underrated thing that I think is going to help him is having Josh Pascal on the team because uh, Logan Stenberg was a leader at Kentucky. He was mm-hmm. their captain and his successor was Josh Pascal. Pascal and him were each a captain for the, uh, the 2019 season together. And then it was, it, it basically that Kentucky team shifted from Stenberg's leadership to Pascal's leadership. And so Pascal holds him in high regard and it's crazy. Like some guys will just, take their game to another level when they, you add somebody that they're comfortable with someone that they're familiar with. And like, I, I honestly think having Pascal could really help Stenberg settle in maybe even li- more than he already is. And it can be a nice reminder of the type of, you know, the, you know, why, what he did at Kentucky and, 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 and maybe that it just gives him that tiny little bit of edge that helps him be, you know, a little bit better. And that can make a big difference in the NFL. I have I have two things also that that are working in Stenberg's favor. One is that you know who he's working out with when he was injured, all all during the season last year. Frank Ragnow. Having him next to you, lifting weights, yeah, training, rehabbing, that's going to help a lot. Yeah, I, I literally just did the Alonzo Morning gif of like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's true. And and the other thing is like we we can't forget about one of maybe the more highly regarded coaches on the staff that, that we, we tend to forget about because he's from the previous regime. And that's Hank Fraley. Like Hank Fraley. we saw what he did with Evan Brown and, and even Ryan McCollum a little bit when he had to step in his third string center. And, 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 you know, Matt Nelson isn't perfect as, as a swing tackle, but we saw him, his value as a sixth offensive lineman last year. And this is a guy converted from the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah. You know, I, I think I think he's in a good spot. I think year three is in, in a good spot for him to make a potential jump 
But like like we said at the beginning, we haven't seen it yet. We're not ready to crown this guy as like a premier backup interior guy yet. But everything is kind of lining up for him to to really make a, a potential jump this year. Yeah, hoping to he does it. Uh, during the draft, when we got Jonah and him, there was all this talk about the value both of those players were. Mm-hmm. Jonah hit, he maybe not. So, yeah, hoping he he pulls it together this camp. Yeah. Thank and you, guys. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and the, the other thing I'll say is, like, as much as we, we want to kind of hammer the, the old regime, they did seem to get a lot of their offensive line choices correctly in the draft, so. Still, still, I think there's still reason to be hopeful for Logan. Just don't want to get ahead of ourselves there. Yeah, Bob. Bob Quinn um, had a good eye for offensive linemen. There, that's that's yeah. one thing he was very good at. Decker, Glasgow. Oh yeah, even Joe Dawson. All right. Um, yeah. All right, Nine. Uh, appreciate the question, and I think with that, we are going to take our second break. When we come, when we come back, finishing up here on the Spotify Live app with your Lions questions as we head towards the end of OTAs and towards the beginning of training camp. We'll be right back. Closing up shop here on the Spotify Live app where we answer your Lions questions live. Let's waste no time and get right into it. Dan is with us. Dan, how's it going, buddy? It's going well. Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Okay, okay. Well, I have two pages of notes here. I, I, <laughs> I had to say it. I'm proud of myself, and thank you, Eric, and thank you, my, my best mate, Matt. But I, it's funny what a day does. Do you know what I mean? Like if we'd had this yesterday – I think there, there would have been such a preponderance of questions about the Inside the Den video. And, and I, I wanted to sort of go back to that. I think we've touched about touched it on it a little bit in places. I'm sorry, I'm going to take a breath. But I was really interested because I saw the crazy video a few weeks ago. And so it was like a couple of minutes where it was the other side of that trade. And I just wanted to share something because I, I loved it so much. And if ever we're sort of bored in the summer, we can, you should go look for it and see it because it will fill you with joy. But, I, you know, Ryan mentioned about the fact that we could jump back in before the draft and get a a wide receiver. So, you know, fair play to him and everybody else. But it totally caught me by surprise. But I loved seeing that pack cast with that one dude from the Packers who literally just has a meltdown. And he knows it's a wide receiver. And I apologize. I've brought up that point before. But I, I, I just sort of there's this aspect sort of seeing this video. And at the same time, hearing Dan Campbell, I'm going to get scatological because Ryan's going to have a, a son soon. And he's going to see, you know, as, uh, as Adam Sadler said, it just go with it, the little black pickle. And I think that's, I think that's going to be on people's bucket list. It's on mine anyway. I've done it. <laughs> but he didn't last year, didn't want turds, and this year doesn't want floaters. So I think it's, there's this aspect to it where I don't know. Have we had more retirings than other teams? I mean, do you, is, this a, is there an aspect where Dan makes you think about your life? And if you're not going to take football seriously, you know, go forth and do what – I don't know. It's crazy because he, he was even sort of – giving Brad saying attaboy B when he was making some good picks in the video. And I'm sorry, my, my meanderings, because I, I wanted to back what Daniel said about the Baltimore Ravens. Cause obviously there, there is this aspect where we just, we, we seem to be so much smarter. And as uh, Eric talked about with Brandon Selzner, and we seem to be able to rejuvenate people who the hell would have thought that Will Harris could be a good outside cornerback. Sure. I don't know what Jared Davis is going to 
do. But obviously through training camp, so many people who get injured. So who the heck knows? You know what I mean? But like, is he almost sort of kind of rejuvenating Rod Wood where we don't dislike him, where we <laughs> are just ambivalent about him? Do you know what I mean? Can you go further? Okay. So I'm so sorry. I have no idea what my question is, but I'm like, what, what thoughts have you had from the video? And let me ask you one quick question. For whatever reason, I love the fact that, that, that um, Brad had talked to other teams about trying to trade up and get into the wide receiver market. How much information do NFL GMs actually know during this draft? So my question is, if, you, if nothing else sticks, what five picks, knowing the, watching the video and knowing them now, what five picks would you have made instead, instead of the four with JMO? Oh, jeez. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's back up to the video first. And I... I because I was going to do like a, my top five moments or top five takeaways, and I never really got a chance to do it. So I guess I, let's start there. What, what were your guys' biggest takeaways from that video? Because like Dan said, I thought it was highly entertaining. It, it really got me psyched for the team. And there's just so much that happened in it. I, I, I feel like I need to watch it three more times to really grasp everything. I have watched it like three times because I went through and I started trying to pull quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm at like, well, I'm over 20 quotes at this point. <laughs> like I started taking screenshots of quotes and stuff. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm let me, I'll take like four or five screenshots and put them in an article and it'll be a fun, like, Hey, this is, and it was, I had like six for Hutchinson. You know what I mean? And I had yeah. like six for Pascal and six for Jameson. Like I, I think the first just, 22 minutes were all on the Hutchinson pick. <laughs> it, it, like, there was so much stuff that I'm almost hamstrung on not knowing where to go with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, it's crazy to think like how, um, how, you know, like they had these guys targeted and they kind of knew where they were going. Right. And like, they had these guys in mind. And like, at one point, Dan Campbell said, look, after day one, he said, this is exactly what we thought was going to happen. Like they did it exactly the way that, that you had planned. And then you get to the Pascal pick and, and after that pick Campbell's like, well, we think you stole that pick because that was a guy who, um, you know, we, we were thinking about it like 32 or 34. And then he's like, but again, you were dead on, on thinking like quote unquote dead on, on where you had these guys targeted. And then they're like, Hey, if Joseph falls, then like, we're going to get him like, it's crazy how well uh, Holmes understood the value of this draft. And I know I've talked about this, like, I, I feel like several times, but like he seems to have a pulse of how the draft is going to play out, at least the, through the first hundred picks really well. And he has these ranges of knowing where guys are going to fall really well like he thought he said okay we can trade back with uh howie roseman of the of the eagles and i think i can still land uh rodriguez let me check with spielman you like rodriguez still right let me check with fip oh fip says he's one of the best special teamers in this draft like it's just the, his concept of knowing of what this team needs and then finding the right mesh of that player who can play with the correct value at the right spot is super impressive and i think a lot of that goes back to the fact that he he is you know he's just inundated with draft uh, experience right because of running the college scouting program so that's the thing that i just kept coming back to over and over and over was that he Brad Holmes really understands the pace and value of how drafts are going to play out yeah and and to kind of speak to that point um you know obviously with videos like this they're going to take every clip where someone that they drafted 
they, you know, of they course. speak his name, they're going to show that. There, there are definitely other players I'm sure that they talked about and considered getting that, that we never heard from. But Ryan, we kind of played this game while, while we were watching because one cool thing about the video is there's a clock right behind like every single shot. And so we were playing these games of like, all right, they started talking about Kirby, Kirby Joseph at 8.30 p.m. When did they actually draft him? And sometimes it was like two hours later. And it's just like, okay, well, that speaks pretty highly of, of this coaching staff doing what Eric just said, like being able to kind of guess who would be available and, and, and you know, having these guys in mind showing that they really liked him. Because I think that Kirby Joseph pick was one where we're like, did the Lions just get jumped and, and have their safety taken right from out of their hands? And I think that video made it pretty darn clear that the answer to that was no. They had they had their guy that they wanted. They they were talking about him two two hours beforehand at forty six. So, yeah, and so that to me is like I'm I'm thinking with Eric like Brad Holmes showed me that he has a very good eye for how things are going to play out, and that is kind of an invaluable talent when it comes to draft night. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean you you can make the point with Kirby Joseph, you can make the point with Josh Pascal, but. I mean, the, the one point that Dan brought up is the trade, right? Like, mm-hmm. Holmes identified, I need to move up to this spot to get the wide receiver that we think we need. And, I mean, th- I don't think there's a more tense or anxious moment in that in that inside the den than when New Orleans moves up and everybody's like, oh, crap. Like, is this is this going to be it? Like, are they going to take our guy? And then they go Alave. And they're talking – I mean, the, the, the chatter that's even in the room, it's like – it's very, like – no, 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 like, let's keep the mojo going. It's like, they, they like, they want to win now. They might want a guy, like, that they can immediately get in there, and then it ends up being Olave, and it's like, oh, yeah, the Lions are getting their guy. So, um, yeah, I, to, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think it was Chris Spielman, Spielman who was the first one to throw it out there who jumped over, like, maybe it's Olave. <laughs> and then, Dan, you know, Dan is, is like, the definition of power, power of positive thinking, where it's just like, <laughs> we're going to get him. We're going to get him. Oh, that's what that's when that's the first uh, table pound, right? Is, <laughs> yes. is, is JMO, right? Yes. He, 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 you know, Brad Holmes said that he, he promised he wasn't going to do that again. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I don't know. It, I, I think my big takeaway from the inside the den was like just how and, and, you know, to your point, Jeremy, about like, you know, teams can cut and edit and things like that. But I mean, you can't really cut and edit more to make it look like everybody is just lock in step on the same page where it's like, yeah, these are our guys and we're targeting them and, and we're getting them. And it, uh, everybody in that room seems to be pretty damn happy with picks. I mean, Antoine Randall, right? Like that's one of the best moments in the video <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when he, when he, when he pokes his head in and he's like, you know, so yeah, yeah I, 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 you know, that was, that, it's probably one of the, the, the best episodes I think they've put together. Cause like you said, Jeremy, we're, we're watching it on stream and the first 20 minutes are hutch and it's like are are they going to get around to everybody and they they do they end yeah. up getting around to everybody and they're giving us those you know those combine interviews which yeah. um were were just an awesome highlight too like you know especially the sit down with Kirby Joseph that's that's what I was going to say one of my other yes. takeaways is is learning more about these players and what they think of themselves because yeah Kirby Joseph is in there is like He's cheering on himself. He's just like, yeah, go get him. Yeah. Whatever he's saying. And sit then also, yeah, sit that boy down. Yeah, sit that boy yeah. down. <laughs> and then the, I thought Jameson Williams was also really interesting too because, like, I don't know, some, I can't remember the exact question, but someone was like, you, you know, you, you're pretty physical on this play. You know, what, what's that about? And he's like, 
that's how, that, I, play that's how I play football. football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just like, of course, I, yeah, that's that's what I do. And and it, spe- it goes back to the, the conversation we just had about the kind of players that they have who just, you don't need to motivate these guys because they're crazy. They're, they're, they're in from the get-go. And, and that goes back to the conversation that, um, you know, on the, uh, the, the 20-man podcast where he talked to uh, Antoine Randall L this week. And he's like, last year I had to hold Amon Ra back because he was insane. We, we put a lot on his plate towards the end of the last year, and I still had to pull him back because he wanted to do more. He wanted to do scout team. He wanted to do special teams. He wanted to do all this stuff. And Jameson Williams is a guy who had a torn ACL in the national championship game. Trying to go like, back and let, play. Let, yeah, let me go play. Yeah. And so he, you know, and, and that's that's kind of another kind of tricky thing with this coaching staff. And and not to, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit myself here, Dan, but like I think one of the the – things that this coaching staff has really made clear as well is as much as they're trying to build a roster of guys who have that kind of insane motor, that insatiable appetite for football, they also have made it clear that they very much care about the health and, and long-term longevity of these players. And I think Jamison Williams is a great example of that. The, the quotes that Dan Campbell had about why they're going to hold this guy back. And, and to me at this point, it, it's almost, abundantly clear that this guy's going to be on pup to start the year because he's definitely going to be on pup to start camp. And with a rookie, I don't think you want to rush him back into the lineup, but he's, he's saying like, listen, man, he needs to be able to protect himself out there. He needs to build up strength in his knee where he's not going to just get destroyed out there. And that comes first before anything. And and that's something that's just been consistent with this coaching staff. I think through, you know, maybe the one counter example being the Deuce Staley playing through injury thing. But I think, you know, we had a long conversation about that on the last podcast, and I think we we all agree like there is a certain le- certain level of hurt that every player is, supposed, is is expected to play through. So, I don't know. I I rambled there for a while. Uh, any, anything else to add? Yeah, I have a couple more things that I wanted to just chat because that I really liked about the video. One, all top 100 picks they met with at the combine. Like, I think that's a telling thing for us to kind of pay attention to. Sure. Uh, on on the flip side we did not know that they met with Jamison Williams at the combine until that video came out. Yeah. Right. So like, again, that's something we have to, uh, it's something that, you know, for us over analysts for the draft, like if they interview a guy, it could be a big, it could be a big deal. The other thing was um, with the Joseph pick uh, Lance Newmark was the guy who pushed the table for him, right? Like he was the guy that Brad Holmes kept going back to, you know, the last guy, last safety we can, I can remember Newmark getting that excited over for was Tracy Walker. Right. Mm. And, and if Kirby has that kind of, you know, career that Tracy has, well then you're, you, you found a, a good talent in my opinion. And so, uh, and then the last thing was um, how well, that you know we talk, I talked at the top of like of this question about how well that we, we think they understood the draft but like they knew what teams were looking at what positions right mm-hmm. in like the top 10 and they knew when New Orleans traded up they're like oh it's going to be for a receiver like it wasn't even a question like immediately everyone knew they were trading up for a receiver like to be able to have that sort of depth and knowledge that comes from conversations that they have with the other teams at the combine like okay where no for from leaning on your pro personnel department uh to know what are the team needs of the, of the different teams around the nfl like so they had 
analyzed what New Orleans might be looking for. And then when New Orleans traded up, they're like, okay, I mean, this is a problem. And then Spielman, you know, as you guys pointed out earlier. So they knew like when the, what the first 12 picks were going to kind of be right before in order to know if Jameson was going to be there. That's when they started that conversation with Kwesi, uh, you know, days in advance. Like they knew the same thing with Sewell the year before. Like it's crazy the amount of information that these, like that they gather that we have no idea about. <laughs> right. Uh, but they have just to be able to put it all together and be prepared and then land on something. It, it's just so impressive to me. I, I, I appreciate. Oh, sorry. I, I don't worry about the other stuff. There's uh, other people behind me, but um, uh, I just wanted to say one thing that I forgot. So I circled it and, and highlighted it so I wouldn't lose it on the way out. But it's funny because, you know, you, you think about tweets and if they sort of last time, oh, there's a better way of saying it, whatever it is. That, but like at the beginning of the summer or mid, uh, of this season, you know, the, the, the front office was kind of getting stick for keeping their players. Why, why are we keeping these players? And I mean, I think I've had a bit of a, a coming to the light aspect of sort of trying to isolate the first half of the season to the second half of the season. And I'm not trying to give everybody too much slack and anything like that, but I'm just, well, I still go back to that, that first win and Goff running straight over to Dan. I should have just got, I got, I got a little bit of the, the Klimt on that. You know what I mean? But like, I just, that moment running straight over and going to him and then bringing these people that no other team would bring back. Do you know what I mean? And then adding to it. And, and I, I really enjoyed those uh, 2020, 2022 comparisons. It's, you know, so he believes in the players. Do you know what I mean? And, I, and, I, and it gives me, it's giving me goosebumps right now because it just feels, you see him in the videos and you just hear him. And, and it's just, it's kind of bonkers because everybody just, it's, it just feels like, honest to God, if you work and you try, you're going to get a shot. And that's just awesome. Do you know what I mean? And so, I don't know. I, I reckon, I know it sounds crazy because the, the people the people, sorry, our players that don't make it, hopefully we get the ones on the practice squad that we want. But we're, they'll, I, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm saying that we might get a lot of them t- uh, picked up by other teams, like more than other years, because they know they've gone through this program and it just makes them quality players. But I'll stop. I'm sorry. Sorry. Ryan, have a great baby. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you, Dan. <laughs> One of the better sign-offs we had here on the Spotify <laughs> <laughs> oh, I said green room. Dang it! Yes, someone, someone in chat. Who was it? Put it in my mind. I think it was Indigo. Yeah. Indigo, that's your fault. <laughs> All right, Nicholas is our next caller. Let's bring Nicholas on the line. One second. There we go. Nicholas, are you there? Hey guys, how you doing? Good man. How are you? <clears throat> doing well. Um, so I have kind of an observation that you guys can comment on if you sure. want, as well as a question. Um, Hit me. So the observation, um, I know this was kind of already reported after the draft, but this kind of confirmed it with Inside the Den. But after, or right before they picked Hutchinson, they said he's the only guy left on the board. And picking at number two, you would have two people on the board. So that means Trayvon Walker was also on their board. Um, and like I said, I know that was already reported. I don't remember who did, but they said that was the other choice. Um, and obviously we don't know if Trayvon was one or two for them, but... I don't know if you guys want to comment on that. Um, and then my question. So usually offensive coordinators you see are from Shanahan tree or McVay, McVay tree or this or that. Um, I was wondering if Ben Johnson from any tree and what we might see from that. Uh, yeah, well, let's let's start with your, your first question. I, th- I think you read it perfectly. Yeah, I think 
I think uh, for sure it was it was between Aiden Hutchinson and uh, and and why can't I think of his name now? Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker. Sorry. Once they're not with the Lions, they just kind of re- I remove them from my brain completely. Completely. But yeah, I, I think some people have read that as Aiden Hutchinson was their number one guy o- overall. I don't think that necessarily says that. We don't really know, but you know, th- there's been reports all over the place, right? That that, that Trayvon was their their number one guy. That Aiden was was their number one guy. I don't think we'll ever really know. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. Do, do you guys read that in any other way? That those were their top two guys, and we don't know whether the Lions got one or two. Yeah, Breer um, is the one who reported that, and Breer said it was they had Hutchinson one and Trayvon two, is what Breer said according mm-hmm. to his sources. And he's usually so, been good good on the Lions. He has time. he is crazy connected to the Lions, yeah. like yeah. all and, all the time. He is so accurate, and everything that he says typically ends up being proven true as well. It's it's, it's so, um, yeah, I trust that. And, and I think we can kind of pick that up from the reaction in the room too, right? At least Dan's reaction. Dan was psyched when when it was. Brad Holmes said he important. was going to be calm, cool, and collected, though, right? Well, he Brad was, said he yeah. was going to be that way. That's true. So, um, but but he couldn't hold it in for Jameson. So if if like he was big on Hutchinson, I feel like we would have seen a different reaction. If, if Hutchinson was his number one by a mile, I should say, I think he's very happy with with Hutchinson. But if like. If Hutchinson was his heavy preference, I don't know if he would have been able to hold it in. And, and I know, I mean, much to be made about, you know, Trayvon or, or Hutch, but I think one of the biggest things coming out of that was, like, Kayvon wasn't even an option, it yeah. seemed like, right? Right. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot the second half of this question. Do you guys remember? <laughs> second half was a uh, Ben Johnson coaching tree, essentially. Right. Um, um, go ahead. It's 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 a hard road because he's been a, he's been a lot of different places. Yes. Right. Um, his first NFL coaching job was uh, in Miami when he was uh, Joe Philbin was was the head coach, and uh, that's when Dan Campbell became the interim eventually. Right. Uh, Philbin comes from the um, Mike McCarthy. Uh, Mike Sherman, you know, Packers coaching tree. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it, like Zach Taylor came from that as well. Like that, that's how he, you know, cross paths with Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach. Uh, but then from from there, he also um, stuck around in Miami after. So he saw other uh, Miami coaches. I got to look them up to figure out what, he, what he, which exactly one, but. Um, that's kind of like the core where his first NFL experience started from that kind of. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but please tell me that um, Adam Gase wasn't part of his (laughs) tree. Um, I think think there was a little bit of overlap there. Okay. So I can, there was, I think Ben Johnson was asked about this late towards last year about his creative process. And then he talks about all of the coaches that he's kind of. Yeah. There's like six of them or something. Yeah. I I got the quote here. He goes, Oh, good. I think, I think that's where I bet I've kind of benefited is I've been a lot of been around a lot of different guys from Bill Lazor. He kind of brought that chip Kelly system that deuce knows really well up in Philly to the digit system. He was doing over with the Mike Martz passing game and Mike Sherman, more of a West Coast, and Adam Gase is more of a Peyton Manning offense, the Omaha Omaha stuff that Jim Bob Cooter had here. There's just been a lot of carryover, and I think that's all he mentions there. And remember, I think a lot of people forget that he was a 
uh, quarterback at North Carolina in college. Uh, he was hired by um, his, his coach at the time was uh, Frank uh, Zappiani, who then went to Boston College, and that's where he got his first coaching job was under Zappiani, and then that led to the the Miami job. So um, he's got a lot of like, you know, we look at him as like, Oh, the tight ends coach is now the offensive coordinator, you know, under Dan Campbell, no surprise. Well, look, Ben Johnson actually has like, he has more quarterback experience than he, than he does at tight end. And so um, he's played what, I mean, what, how many different systems was that that you just mentioned? Like what, like three or four at least. And then he's been exposed to others. He's, he was, like I said, a college quarterback. It gives you different perspective on things. Even if you're just in the room learning like how to, be a quarterback you know at the college level you're still going through these motions of, of gaining ex- different levels of experience and so like he has like he has like a lot more experience than than i think we he gets credit for because he's been you know that he's been what like this is like year 13 i think for him coaching and like he looks like he's 13 years old you know he's what i mean 30, he's 35 or 36 right like so it's he's I mean, he has a, yeah, he's 36 and he's got, so he's been coaching since he's what, 22, 23 years old. Like, and he's got a lot of experience and I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, I think it, it, his kind of baby face kind of underwhelms a lot of people when they're, when they don't realize like how much exposure he has. So rather than being kind of a branch on someone's tree, do you think that the system's going to be kind of unique and he's starting his own tree kind of thing or? I mean, yeah, potentially. I, I think, I think the the biggest thing is that, and you'll hear offensive coaches say it all the time. Like, there's not much new that you can introduce that hasn't been done somewhere before, and so it's just a matter of finding what works best for you, given your personnel, given your players, and and given what kind of identity you want to have on offense. And so, you know, it, it's clear this offense wants to do two things, right, or two or three things. They want to be able to push the ball deep, which is something they weren't able to do much last year. They want to be able to still run the ball pretty well, and now they want to play with pace. That's kind of been the buzzword all offseason. They, they, they want to play with pace. They want to they want to put that extra stress on, stress on the defense simply by getting to the line quickly. And that doesn't necessarily mean snapping the ball quickly, but it means getting there quickly so that you have to have the defense scrambling and, and getting in position and snapping the ball if they're not ready or you know getting in your um, your adjustments before the play clock runs out. So um, and, and that's something that I, that the one thing I can say has definitely translated onto the field thus far is they're, they're definitely doing that. That's not just something that they're saying. And, and it also apparently, you know, according to a lot of the players, that's something that's, that's really plays into Ben Johnson's strengths is his ability to communicate quickly. Um, so I mean, you, you can say that's a certain system, but, but I think, I think you're right. I think it's going to be kind of amalgamum of, of several different systems. And, and maybe if you want to consider that his own system, then it's his own system. If you, if you want to consider it, you know, more of an influence on, on one other system, then it's more of an influence on one other system. But I feel like in general, yeah, it, it's more so its own thing than, than, you know, one main influence. And, and yeah. And I think to, uh, you know, to, to a, accentuate that point jeremy is like the work that ben johnson has done with jared goff right i mean like implementing the like hey let's 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 pick and piece and pull together the things that worked in la and we'll put it we'll put it into our system and we'll and we'll create this little system that's like going to accentuate the best things um about jared goff's game too so that's something to keep in mind too is is like you mentioned the amalgamation maybe of, of the offense that they're putting together at its core 
it's going to be, I think, more West Coast. Yeah, agreed. Because that's where Play golf action. found most of his success uh, in at, at Cal and at, uh, at um, with the Rams. So, um, but and, and that's not too far off from what we saw. I think at the end of the year last year too. Fair point. All right, Nicholas, uh, appreciate the question there. All right, appreciate it, guys. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we are going to close things out with our buddy Daniel Z, who uh, actually sent in his question via our text chat here. He, he asked, should Goff not be the answer, which I hope he is, who is the potential quarterback that could fit the culture, talent, coaching staff that could potentially be available? Also, what is one thing you think you know about the upcoming season? All right, we're dipping into first bite territory here, here Ryan, our one thing we think we know. Let's start there. What is one thing you think you know about the Detroit Lions 2022 season? Oh, my God. Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Big question. Um, yeah, yeah. You got this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just, I mean, just put together a large sweeping conclusion um, about what you think you know about the Detroit Lions. In um, June. <laughs> in June. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, here, here's the thing. I, I think it goes back to what you just talked about in terms of the, the identity of their offense, right? Like, um, pushing the ball vertically uh, when it comes to the passing game, st- trying to stretch the field um, and, and, and that power run game uh, that, that I think they still really, really want to establish. And maybe they just couldn't because of the, the offensive line health. Um, the one thing I think I know is if they get the majority of those offensive line, their starters, if, if they get a, a good chunk of the season with them all playing together as a unit, I'm going to say that, the one thing I think I know is that the Lions are going to have a, I'll say, it, a top 10 offense. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Eric. It, yeah. Come on, Eric. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not on first plate, so I'm not, I'm, uh, I, I don't know if this is, falls into the, uh, the realm of a, of a good answer, but I, like the one thing I think I know is that this team is just never going to quit on anything, right? Whether it's uh, a a game, a series, uh, whether injuries happen, I I just, this is a team that is going to fight from the first snap of the first game down to the last snap of week 18. That's a good answer. It's, it's impossible to know if you're going to be right or not, because I think effort is a hard thing to actually measure and see, but I mean, you, you can definitely tell when it's not there, I guess. Right. So. Like if we, like if we see a similar type of effort that we saw last season, I, I think, you know, that I don't expect that to go away, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm expecting them, whether they're, they've got one win or 10 wins, I, I expect them still to be, you know, clawing to, to, in, in the last week of the season. Well, I, I think that was more true than not last season, right, Eric? And, and I think maybe the, maybe there were just a couple of games that kind of stood out as like, the, these are real stinkers. Like, it, it doesn't Philly. seem like Philly, Philly stands yeah. out. Yeah. Cincinnati almost stands out too. Yeah. Since he was good. they went. I mean, since he had a good game plan, they went out there and they put it on him, right? Yeah. Like, that was a good team. Um, you know, I, 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 I think they went places last year, if I remember. <laughs> yeah, Cincinnati did all right. <laughs> they, they, they did all right. Back to back Super Bowl weeks, right? Like those were hard wins. Those were hard weeks. Yeah, the Philly game was the one that that really stands out to me in that aspect for sure. I'll say the one thing I think I know is that the Detroit Lions are going to win seven games next year, at least. <laughs> it's measurable. Okay, I like That's, it. Yeah, yeah, I'm throwing it out there. Um, 
I just, I mean, the way they were playing last year at the end of that season, man, that was, that was at least a six win team to me. The way, the, the, the way they were competing um, with, as we mentioned before, just like a completely depleted roster with injuries. You come in this year, you, you add a lot of talent. You have a lot of talent that's going to be playing better than they did last year, even at the end of last year. And you have a much easier schedule. I don't see how this team doesn't win at least seven games. And, and, and listen, that, that's going to make it sound like I'm going to be disappointed if this team wins six next year. And, and part of me will be a little bit disappointed. But I, I think I also understand that this is, is not a 10-win team. This is not an 11-win team. Like, I, just, I, I have a fair amount of confidence that this team is going to win between seven and nine games. And, and I think that should be a realistic expectation and, and realistic growth for a team that I think – you know, for for as little as they did in free agency, I think they did a lot of growing this offseason. I do. So what you're telling me is the topic of talk radio this week is going to be if the Lions double their win total, Jeremy Reisman will be unsatisfied. Exactly, yeah. Someone will take that out of context. I got, I got a feeling of, of which outline it might be. Jeremy um, Reisman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, do we want to get to the other half of this? I guess yes. here's, here's my, my part of the other half of the question. So, it, it you know, is – my question, and I, I like to do this, I like to twist other people's question and make it my own question. Uh, is there a specific quarterback that, that fits, kind of quarterback that fits the system, or are the Lions adaptable enough where you bring in anybody and they're, they're going to make it happen? I, I think they're going to be looking for a specific guy. Now, if we're talking like about draft uh potential prospects. Um, I, I think it's too early for us to really to have an, an ascertain of what that exactly is. I mean, we know the talented guys at the top, um, but how they would fit in from a character standpoint, I think we, we need to see, uh, we need to learn a lot more about them. Like, cause like right now, geez, only like of the, of the top, like six quarterbacks potentially in this class, five of them were not draft eligible last, last year. Right. Yeah. So we haven't really dug into those guys yet. Um, on the flip side, um, and if we're looking, if we're talking NFL guys, it's hard to tell who's going to be available. I mean, we right. we can look at free agent lists all we want, but as we talked about on a couple of previous shows, we really don't know if there's going to be a quarterback that's going to be unhappy with their team and looking for a new destination. And so it's, it's a hard question uh, to answer just because uh, of the timing of it. We haven't really, an answer hasn't clearly presented itself yet. So we shouldn't be buying Lions Kyler Murray jerseys quite yet is what you're saying? I mean, I wouldn't, but, um, <laughs> but like at the same time, I, I'm not like, I'm not saying, you know, go get your Bryce Young jerseys either. You know what I mean? Like, because who knows if this team does hit seven wins, are CJ Stroud and, and Bryce Young out of the conversation? You know, then are you starting to look at like, we'll leave his jerseys, you know what I mean? Or, or somebody else. Right. right. Uh, or is, is there another, you know, Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, like oh gosh, can you imagine? <laughs> I I can't imagine. I can't. I can't even imagine. But I mean, this also kind of goes back to the conversation that that Mina Kimes started, which is like the Lions kind of have a really nice landing spot for that new quarterback yeah. whenever it may come because they've got such a strong offensive line, because they have a lot of offensive weapons, because they have a coaching staff that that people seem to get along with. Like it's a pretty good landing spot for a quarterback 
and the Lions still might be quote unquote bad enough where they're in a good position to land one in the draft. Yeah, and and I think uh, I want to say it was uh, discussion that like Eric was heading up on on Q and A in the past couple of weeks, but talking about like if the Lions are playing themselves out of you know the top three, which I mean if we're expecting we're expecting realistic expectations to be between seven and nine wins. Well, that's going to put them into the teens. Um, but still with having that Rams pick wherever it may land, I mean, maybe you can find yourself in that situation of, you know, Justin Fields, right? Like he's, he's kind of fallen down the draft board a little bit and maybe you're packaging those two picks and, and, and you can move up. So I, I, I think to the, to the, I guess to, to answer the question, like, like you said, Jeremy, I, I think that the Lions have put together a a landscape in terms of their offense that, like, it should be pretty plug-and-play. Like, you know, if they find the right guy to replace Goff, like, that, that, that quarterback should swim. So. All right. I think we should close up our conversation there. Uh, thank you to everyone who participated in our Spotify Live uh, this week. We, we appreciate you all listening. We appreciate all, to, all of you guys that are – uh, either listening or, or giving reviews. We're almost up to 600 reviews on, on, uh, on Apple podcasts. Um, but yeah, uh, appreciate all the support um, from you guys and, and listening. And uh, as always have a great baby, Ryan. <laughs>